Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. He's here. Welcome to everybody joining us online. We're happy that you're here with us too. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I, ha- I was hanging out with some friends and I had a fun conversation. So I thought I'd share it, share it with you. So we were catching up on how uh, her family was doing. And I asked about her parents and, and how life was going for them. And I knew that there had been some health issues. So I was kind of like I had a hint where this was going. So she filled me in on, on what was going on, decisions that they were making and uh, how aging was working for them, honestly. Uh, and then at, she kind of finished that up and she said, and of course, you know, they're, they're still telling everybody that they know about the end of the world. And I went, what? Like, wait, hold, hold on a second. Did you say what I think you just said? And everybody in the room started laughing because they were in on a joke that I wasn't. And that's that her parents are evangelists for the end times. Their favorite conversation starter is, do you know where you're going to be when Jesus returns? And so they'll go up to people and they'll just start talking about this all the time. Uh, it, it's gotten to the point where like, he's been actually asked to not return to certain businesses because the conversation topic was scaring people, uh, scaring people away from, from returning. Uh, so it's reached pretty epic proportions, but they're just really passionate about making sure that people know where they're going. And now I've met these people. We've talked about golf and like other mundane things. Like they're very normal, nice followers of Jesus that I would not have thought this about until they get to that one subject uh, and all of a sudden everything changes. And she mentioned that they're of the, the current belief that Jesus is going to return in September of 2022. And I said, wow, that's news to me. I didn't realize we had a date yet. Like I didn't know that that was, uh, that was marked on the calendar. And she, she was like, yeah, well, it's something to do with like the Feast of Trumpets being in September. Jesus wants to come back with a blaring horn section. And like it, it, the year has some like numerical value that's way beyond what I'm able to, to comprehend. But the good news is, is that 2022 doesn't actually define it. So they're still good if he comes back in 2023. So there's options. But just saying, you know, if you want to liquidize by September 2022, I guess, you know, it's a good time to live it up this summer uh, and see what happens. Uh, Do not take that advice at all. Um, Have you ever had conversations with people about the end of the world? Have you ever had that sort of a conversation? You know, for many of us, I think when it comes to talking about the end times, it starts to sound a little bit like Chicken Little, like a bunch of people running around saying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And you're like, it's just really blue. Like there's, I don't know what you're seeing that I'm not seeing, but we're definitely not on the same page here because nothing has happened. We've gone for a long time and Jesus has not returned. And yet people over and over for the past 2000 years have kept repeating this thing. The sky's falling, Jesus is coming back. And we're still here, still waiting. How do we deal with this? We start to ask ourselves if the end of the world is just the cry of like extremists and and fringe Christians, or if it's actually for people like you and I. Because it's been a long time since Jesus was on earth. But here's the thing. The Gospels tell us that Jesus actually talked about this a fair amount. 
which means that we do have to come to grips with it to a certain extent because it was a subject that Jesus found to be worth focusing on. Uh, just because some people have thrown it out there too many times doesn't mean we need to throw out the message along with the messengers. We need to be ready. But I truly have no idea when it's going to happen, and I am not going to give you a date or a time or what it's going to look like this morning. Uh, I'm not going to all of a sudden flip into that, and you guys would be like, get a little whiplash like I've never heard Stephen in that way. I have no idea because the Bible doesn't give us a lot of clarity. It simply doesn't give us specifics when it comes to this. Uh, so when I think about subjects like this, I like to go to uh, people who are more experts than I am. People like N.T. Wright uh, are helpful in this. And his advice as a theologian is to remember that all Christian language about the future is a set of signposts that's pointing into the mist. Signposts don't normally provide you with advanced photographs of what you'll find, but that doesn't mean that they're not pointing in the right direction. Just because it doesn't tell us exactly what's going to happen doesn't mean that it doesn't give us something good to grab a hold of and to learn from. We might not know when, we might not know exactly what it'll look like, but we do have things that help us to get ready to guide us through the mist of life as we look forward to Jesus's return. And so I want to talk about this subject that truly we, we talked about this week, like Sarah, Rob, and I, like when was the last time we talked about the end times that we could not put a definitive date on it? Uh, so it's not a subject we've talked about a lot, uh, but it's something that Jesus talks about. And so as we're in this series called Forms Like Jesus, going from uh, Christmas all the way to Easter through the life of Jesus, I think that it would be good for us to talk about this subject that Jesus puts out there quite often. But I want to look at it from this specific point of being prepared for the end, but still living in the present. So let's pray, and then we're going to open up to Matthew 24. Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come and to fill this place even more right now. God, I pray on a subject that has brought so much... Uh, we'll say diversions, so many diversions, so many rabbit trails. I pray that you'll bring clarity. I pray that as we look towards your return, that we will look towards it with excitement, not with fear, with joy at what it's going to mean, not with wonder if we can deal with it or if we're going to make it. And I pray, Jesus, as we as we look towards this, often we start thinking about the signs and the things that are going on in our world that make us wonder if it's now uh, things like uh, natural disasters and, and war. And it just makes me think of the Ukraine. So Jesus, we just ask for your presence to be there right now. I pray for you to come and to bring uh, an end to violence. I pray for you to bring continued protection to the vulnerable. I pray for you to bring uh, distractions and diversions to, to evil and for you to move in that setting, Lord God protect those who are running from everything that they've known, who are forced out. Cover them, show your love to them today, right now. We just invite you, Jesus, come and fill this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew 24. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back that you can grab uh, at any point. But Matthew chapter 24. And again, the reason that I want to talk about this 
is because Jesus does. And I think that it's good for us as followers of Jesus to learn from what he tells us about. And I think it's helpful to kind of ground some not helpful uh, theological statements that have been put out there in the reality of what the Bible actually says. Um, So let's read this. Matthew 24, starting in verse 3. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? So first off, just notice people actually wanted to know the answer to this question. It wasn't just Jesus going off on a rabbit trail. This was asked for. So Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nations will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers." Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. You know, the dramatic nature of life is always going to leave us asking as followers of Jesus, when is he coming back? Like this, this natural disaster, this hurricane came and destroyed so much. So many lives were destroyed. When's Jesus coming back? This war is going on and it, it's making us just question like, why is this violence still allowed to happen? When is Jesus going to come back? We, we see things like heretics claiming to be Jesus, and we say, is this the sign that he's actually coming? Or these sins that are, seem pervasive throughout our, our culture and, and seem to be taking over everything, and we're like, surely this has to be a sign that it's reached the point that it's so bad that Jesus can't be dealing with it anymore, and he has to return and make everything right. Surely this is the time when Jesus is going to return. He's getting ready, right? Please? He's going to come really soon? Like it's going to happen. And we're still here. So to combat kind of this craziness in our world, church leaders have tried lots of different things. Not all of them good, but they've tried lots of different things throughout the past 2,000 years. One of the things that they've tried is something that I would call kind of commune Christianity. You know what I'm talking about, right? it's It's the version of Christianity that says, you know, the world's gotten too bad. Sin is too much. Uh, Everybody's against us. Persecution's growing. Uh, We can't raise our kids the way that we want to do it. So we're just going to disappear. We're going to buy this huge farm in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of New York, and we're just all going to move there and, and live together and raise our kids the way we want to and worship Jesus the way that we want to and pray the way that we want to, just do all the things the way that we want to, just us and Jesus. It's a pretty common throughout the years, throughout the decades, throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia way of dealing with this of trying to create a safe space where we could just get away to. But spoiler alert, that's not the way that Jesus ever works. That's not Jesus's way of dealing with it. But it does remind me of my church playground as a kid. So let me tell you about it. 
We had uh, all the deadly things that you would ever want in a 90s playground. You know, like, honestly, when I think about, like, you know, every couple of, or like every six months, we get these updates on liability insurance. And I'm like, how in the world did churches in the 90s afford it with these playgrounds? But that's a separate issue. So we had the, the slide that was all metal that seemed like it was like 15 feet tall. I was just four feet tall. So that's probably why it seems so tall. But, you know, you'd climb up the stairs and then you'd go down it and it would be so hot because the metal had heated all day long and you're wearing shorts that are probably a little too short because you're eight and it's what happens. And so you're going down and your skin come off, comes off onto this, this metal because it's just burning through you. It's like natural like skin cleanser. And if there's any metal that's come up or like uh, nuts or bolts that have come a little bit loose, you are going to need a tetanus shot because that puppy is rusted, rusted, real bad. And then we had the swing set with the swings that were like a foot too long. You know what I'm talking about? They're just a little too dangly. And and the leather seats, you know, that are like a little too short. And so you'd swing on it. And the great thing was that you could get like high. I mean, you could shoot up off of that puppy. And then you jump and you go, but you had better hit the ground because that extra foot of chain is going to make it come back around and whop you straight in the back of the head before you know it. Like these playgrounds were terrible. And then there was the merry-go-round. Now we had one that was like this with a dome in the middle, except that dome was all enclosed. So it was all wooden around it. You know what that meant? You know what every kid wanted to do? They wanted to crawl under that and sit inside the dome. And we did every single day that we were there. Somebody would crawl under that puppy, jump on that seat, and hold on for dear life. And you would spin and spin and spin. And it was great because you felt kind of safe because you were like in this enclosed space. You didn't see everything going around you. You didn't feel the wind in your face. But if you slipped you were dead. It was bad news. And have I mentioned how rickety these things were? And so there was a constant fear that it was going to come falling apart with you inside of it. And then boom, there you are covered in everything with everybody falling on top of you. It was really bad. Parents had to have hated it or it was just the 90s and they didn't care. I don't know which one. I didn't parent in that era, so you can tell me. But It was pretty bad news. It was a deadly, dangerous thing to go play on. But it was so, so tempting. Quarantining ourselves from the world is just like that dome. It is so tempting. We're like, if I could just get in there, I'm not going to see everything going on around me. I'm not going to feel it hitting me in the face. I don't have to hear it anymore. The problem is, there are these two two problems. One problem is, it's going to fall apart. It has every single time throughout history that people have tried this. It has not worked for very long. Some screw has come loose, quite literally, and the whole thing has come crashing down. But the other problem is a little bit more straightforward, and that's that Jesus says that that's not okay. Jesus doesn't give us the option of disappearing into a dome and hiding out until he returns. 
That's never what he gives us the choice of doing. Listen again to verse 14. The good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. We've been given a countdown timer, and it's simply this. Tell everybody you know about Jesus. Give them an opportunity to make a decision to know Jesus and to live their lives following him. And when that happens to every single person throughout the world, he's going to return. I don't know how that works. I don't understand if that means every single person. But that's the closest thing that we're given in here to what that is going to look like. So if you want Jesus to return, start sharing his good news with people around you in ways that are winsome and going to help them to come to know who Jesus is. It's not about escaping from the world. It's about helping people to know Jesus. It's good news, not an escape plan. We're preparing for the end, but we're still living in the present. And Stanley Hauerwas wrote that our task is not to predict the end of time, but rather to learn to endure even under persecution. All the disciples need to know, all that we need to know, is that a new age has begun in Jesus. The kingdom has come. New life has been given through Jesus. The Holy Spirit has come and has filled us. And yes, we need to prepare for Jesus to return. We need to be focused on what we have, not what we don't have. And Matthew 24 continues with warnings of what is to come. And I don't have time to talk about all these things because there's so many things in here. But I had loads of notes that I could not add in because you guys would get really, really bored really, really fast. So if this gets you going, talk to me afterwards. I would love to set up a time to have coffee and to actually utilize everything that I researched this week. So I would love to connect with you about that. But he talks about wars and false messiahs and even lunar eclipses and all these things that that happen in our world time and time again. And Jesus still has not returned. Craig Keener, a theologian, wrote that catastrophic events do not allow us to predict how soon the Lord is coming. Such events have happened throughout history, but they encourage us to long for our Lord's coming all the more fervently. We can't figure out when he's coming back simply by how many bad things have happened in our world because bad things have been happening since the day that they left the garden. It's been continuous ever since. That's not a clock. It's just a reality for our life, a painful reality and a reality that should leave us asking for Jesus to come and to move. There's nothing wrong with wondering, but to focus on it solely is, I think, to miss the point of what Jesus is calling us to. Our job is simply to preach the good news to each and every person that he places in our path, not to guess when he's going to return. That's what we need to be focused on. Verse 42 says, So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. This is repeated by Matthew in Uh, chapter 25, verse 13. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or hour of my return. Keep watch. And then in between, he tells a parable that I want to look at. So if you have your Bible still open, flip a page or so and look at verses uh, 1 through 13 of chapter 25 with me. Let's read this parable. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. The other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. 
When the bridegroom was delayed, all became drowsy and fell asleep. And at midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. There's some super sad verses in there that I want to talk about. But first, I want to mention a couple of things about weddings in Jesus's day to help us like figure out what's a story and what's actually literal to their culture. So wedding processions from the bride to the groom's home were normal. This was a regular part of wedding practices in Jesus's time. And they would usually happen at night. And so torches or lamps, whichever translation you have, they probably looked a little bit more like torches, but uh, they, were, they were necessary because it would have been dark when they were making this walk from one house to the next. And on top of that, these were expected to take a really long time because they had this little bartering thing going on at the first home where one family was pitted against the other. And they're saying, which one's more valuable, the wife or the husband-to-be? Like, which one's worth the camel? Which one's worth the gold earring? And they'd start fighting about it, and they'd bicker, and they'd go back and forth. And they'd barter and say, who's going to get the most? And then the uncle and the, and the aunt would be like, hey, I want that one. And the parents would be like, no, it's our kid. They're like, hey, but we did this that one time. And so it would just go on forever. It was a very long process. And this was all normal in the procession, like proceedings. So you expected it to take a long time. It, it was guaranteed to take a long time, which meant you needed to be prepared. Better have your phone charged and enough oil for your lamp. Otherwise, you were going to be in a bad spot pretty darn soon. And if you didn't prepare and you caused a delay, as one of the bridesmaids, groomsmen, whoever else, it was bad, bad news. You would never be allowed to forget it. You first off would get uninvited from the rest of the party. If you didn't bring enough stuff, you were immediately out and everybody in the town is there. So they would have all known what you did. It would have been very, very obvious. The weddings took priority over almost everything else in their culture. That means political, social, and even many religious things. Weddings took top. So when a wedding was happening, that was your only focus for that week. That was the only thing to be aware of. And so if you made a, an error in how much that you needed to prepare, you would never be allowed to forget it in your community. So what can we learn from Jesus about how we need to be prepared for the end, but still living in the present from this? Well, the first thing I think is really clear, and that's that Jesus is going to take a lot longer than anybody ever thought. The disciples thought that he was going to come back in their lifetimes, or at least in the generation right after them. 
People have thought that he was going to come back for many, many, many years after that. There have been so many predictions. Uh, Hippolytus and his friends said that it would be in 500 AD, and they were bishops. They were well-respected people. Pope Sylvester II said that it would be January 1st, 1000 AD. Does that sound familiar? We made that mistake too. Uh, Michael Stifel said that it would be 8 a.m. on October 19th, 1533. So, how about that for specific? Uh, John Wesley, who is not a nut job, but actually well-respected by almost everybody, said that it would be 1836. Loads of people, again, said that it was going to be in the year 2000, and we've kept making predictions ever since then. It seems like we're coming out with a new one every single year to catch up with where our last one went wrong. God gives his own timeline, and he is not going to tell us when he's going to return. Jesus was super clear about that. I don't know why we keep trying, but we do. But he said, like nobody knows except for the Father, not even Jesus when he was on earth. I think he probably has a clue now, but he's in a different spot. So that's a little bit different. Nobody knows. Our job isn't to predict. Our job is to be prepared, prepare ourselves, and to share the good news of Jesus with others around us. So here's the second thing. The foolish and the wise are a lot more similar than I think we'd like to acknowledge. They both show up at the same time. They both show up with the proper tools. They all fall asleep. <laughs> so they all mess up in the same way. Only one group has enough to make it through the night. Their preparation was the only thing that separated the two. And it wasn't by much. You know, the word foolish that Jesus uses here, uh, it echoes what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.20, where he says, where does this leave the philosophers, scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? Well, God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. The foolish look just like everybody else. They look just like us. Shoot, it's probably been us plenty of times. They have advanced degrees. They're smart people. They're, they're who we go to for expert opinions. But they don't know who Jesus is. That's what separates them. And the wise are filled with a trust in Christ crucified. Paul continues in verse 22 saying, it's foolish to the Jews who ask for a sign from heaven. It's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. But to those called by God to salvation, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Never forget that the only thing that separates us from being foolish is knowledge of Jesus. It's nothing else. Do you know Christ and him crucified? That is it. It's our start. It's our end. That's the delineating factor. We're much closer to being foolish than we might like to admit. Here's the last thing for today that there are some who will realize too late that they didn't prepare well enough. This is where it gets sad. Because waiting is a dangerous game when it comes to following Jesus. We don't know what the future is going to hold. I don't know what my life looks like tomorrow. I have plans, nothing guaranteed. Believe me, we have no idea what is going to come. We don't know the day that we're gonna die we don't know what's going to happen to us in between now and then. We know very, very little. Don't delay in choosing to follow Jesus. He is better than everything else. 
living your whole life with him is so much better than living your life a different way and then last second being like, prayed, now I'm in. That's a terrible way to do it. Know Jesus the whole time and it is so much better. The bridesmaids were all in in the beginning. All in. Sorry, that was my beard. Got a little, there you go. Uh, they were all on equal footing. Like they, they brought the same stuff. They showed up at the same time. They, uh, they fell asleep together. They were all at the same spot. But later they find out that only half of them are in. And half, we're only half in. Be careful about living your life half in with Jesus. The danger about living your life half in is that you run the risk of not actually knowing who Jesus is. Maybe church has become a little bit too much of just a social club, place to do community service. Maybe your relationship with Jesus is confined simply to this one hour a week. When Jesus returns and he, he calls your name, are you going to recognize it? Are you going to know who he is? Or are you going to be on the other side of that door? The story ends with the five foolish ones arriving back after they went shopping and banging on the door and saying, Lord, 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 let us in. Lord, which means master, which means the one whose decisions guide my decisions, which means the one who has the right to veto anything in my life if he wants to, which means the one who I am going to follow no matter what at all times in every single way. Lord, Lord, will you let us in? But it's too late because there is nothing left in their life for Jesus to be Lord over. Nothing remained. They couldn't give him control. And so Jesus yells back, believe me, I don't know you. Essentially, he says, I'm sorry, but I don't recognize your voice. This word no is the same word that he uses in John 10, where he talks about the shepherd and his sheep. And he talks about like what, what makes sheep follow a shepherd. It's not that they have the best treats. It's not that they have the biggest staff and they whap them, you know, the most times. It's not that they're taller and so they see them, so they just blindly follow. It's simply this, that they recognize his voice. That's the only reason that sheep follow the shepherd, Jesus says. Believe me, I don't know you is an acknowledgement that Jesus doesn't recognize their voices because they haven't been in relationship with him. They haven't followed him. They haven't given lordship of their life over to him. They haven't spent time with him. And so when it comes to the end, he has no other choice but to say, I don't recognize you. I never knew you because you never bothered to know me. And following that heartbreak, Jesus ends by repeating himself. So you too must be Keep watch, for you don't know the day or the hour of my return. Are we prepared for the end? 
Are we prepared for the return of Jesus? Are we doing what it is that Jesus has asked us to do as his followers, to go and to share who he is with those that he places in our path? We don't have to worry about reaching everybody. If we all do our job, everybody will get reached. Are we doing what it is that he's called us to do? Are we prepared for the end, but still living in the present? The closest that we get to an actual picture of what it looks like when he's going to return is the end of Revelation. And so in Revelation 22, verse 17, it says that the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely of the water of life. He who is the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. As the worship team comes on up, I want to take a moment and give us an opportunity to make sure that we're all in. To make sure that we're in a spot where we're prepared and where we can go live out what it is that he's asked us to do. Maybe you've never done this. Maybe you've been delaying. Maybe over the past two years, you've realized that your priorities have shifted and you're honestly probably closer to half in that you might like to recognize. Wherever it is we're coming from, I want to give us time before Jesus to say, Jesus, I want you to actually be Lord. I want you to be master. I want you to have veto power over anything in my life. So if you want to bow your heads, just close your eyes. I'll be the only one with my eyes open. And I just want to simply invite you. If this morning you say, I've never asked Jesus to be Lord. Right now, I want to give you an opportunity to just throw your hand in the air and then we'll pray. So if that's you, just raise your hand. Thanks. And if you're here and you say, I've, I've been straddling that line. I've been half in. And I need to be all in. I want to invite you right now to raise your hand. Say, Jesus, I want, I want to quit playing this game. And I want to go all in with you. I want to follow you completely. Again, I give you veto power over my life. Just raise your hand if that's you. Let's pray together. If you want to just pray this simple, just prayer in your hearts along with me. Say, Jesus, I give you permission to be Lord. Come and take control. I repent for the ways that I've sinned. I repent for the ways that I've tried to, to straddle the line of being half in and half out. And today I say that I want to follow you all the way. Where you go, I will go. Where you lead, I will lead. I love you, Jesus. And I give you permission to come and to make yourself at home with me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Jesus, I just pray for us during this time of worship, I pray that you will come even more. 
Bring your spirit, bring your power, bring your anointing here in this place. Let it be a holy place, one where we encounter you, one where our ears are opened again to your voice and where we know what it is that you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.